One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? How he entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This podcast is dedicated to taking passages from the Bible and turning them into straightforward and coherent narratives. And when you are dealing with a passage, such as that one from the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark, you would think that that would be the simplest thing to do. After all, aren't Gospels just supposed to be biographies? straightforward narratives of the life of somebody named Jesus? Aren't they already essentially stories? Surely you would think that you could take these gospel stories and stage them in the real world without there being any problems or inconsistencies. So you would think. But I have found again and again as I try to tell these stories, that turning them into a straightforward narrative often raises more questions and poses more problems that need to be resolved in order to tell a story than you might think. And I think that is especially true about the story of the time that Jesus and the guys went for a walk through the grain fields on a Saturday. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 7.19 Nobody Expects the Pharisees It was the Sabbath day, and Jesus and his friends were walking on the way from one Galilean village to another. They were always on the move, it seemed, which could be exhausting. Jesus had a very restless spirit, and never seemed to be able to stay very long at all in any particular place. He felt this constant urgency to see and speak to the people in the next town or village, and then the next, and then the next. But it wasn't just that it was tiring. It also created a lot of uncertainty and instability for all of them. 
they had no income. They barely even had a place to lay down their few possessions. And so they were almost entirely dependent on the kindness, generosity, and hospitality of the people in the places that they visited. This wasn't usually a problem, of course, because when Jesus performed some healing or spoke powerfully, people from all around would usually clamor for the honor of being able to host him and his disciples in their homes. It was considered to be a great honor to have hosted such a speaker and wonder-worker. So, when the good gigs were all lined up, one after another, the disciples never had any trouble and were always well-fed. But, of course, things didn't always turn out that way. Sometimes they would walk for days without encountering villages of any significant size. Sometimes their hosts were willing, but just didn't have enough to share, and they went to sleep with grumbling stomachs. This particular Sabbath day came on the heels of a Friday that had been like that. And, as they were walking, Jesus and the disciples were feeling, let us say, a little bit peckish. But luckily their path led them along the edge of a farmer's grain field. And people like Jesus and his friends, those who traveled around and didn't have many resources, were very aware of the ancient laws of their people regarding grain fields. The law commanded those who had land to raise food on to make sure that when they harvested, they did not harvest to the very edges of their fields. It was understood that those who did not have the land that was essential to life must be able to have access, at the very least, to some of any farmer's crops. And so, as they walked, the group were very much aware that there was nothing wrong for them to take a few handfuls of the grain as they passed. It was early wheat, and as they plucked the heads from the grain, they rubbed them vigorously between their palms to separate the chaff, and then they carefully blew away the chaff before taking bite after bite of the delicious and filling grain. They walked on in silence for a while, enjoying the feeling of having something in their stomachs. And then Simon had a thought. It struck him so suddenly that he felt he had to give voice to it, even though his mouth was still full. Mm. He said. Pardon? Philip asked, and so Simon repeated. Mm -hmm. 
I don't understand what you're saying, Philip insisted. And so Simon finally swallowed the wheat that he had been chewing and spoke clearly. I said, but you know, this could get us in trouble with some people. Well, what on earth does that mean? Philip wanted to know. And so Simon took another head of grain and started to demonstrate. Well, you see, when you rub your hands together to separate the wheat from the chaff, that is called threshing. And when you blow away the chaff, that is called winnowing. Philip nodded. But there are some people who will say that threshing and winnowing are forms of work, and the law says that work is forbidden on the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus had been listening to this conversation silently up until this point, but now he decided to break in. Listen, Simon, he laughed. I was just looking for a little bit of breakfast. I wasn't expecting a kind of pharisaical inquisition. Nobody expects the pharisaical inquisition. In the decades following the revolt of the Maccabees, that won independence from foreign rule, the Pharisees emerged as a political and religious group in Judea. Often in opposition to the Sadducees, who represented the interests of the elite and priestly classes, the Pharisees were popular with the common folk, believing that it was the duty of all Judeans to abide by the whole of the law of Moses Pharisees moved throughout the land, without let or hindrance, to teach a strict observance of the whole law in a reign of extreme legalistic scrupulosity that makes a smashing podcast episode. This was the Pharisaical Inquisition. And so, having introduced the chief antagonists in this story, let us return to the point at which they arrived. What was it that Jesus had said? <clears throat> I wasn't expecting a kind of pharisaical inquisition, Jesus repeated. Nobody expects the pharisaical inquisition the chief Pharisee cried. Our chief weapon is surprise, surprise and fear. Fear and surprise are two weapons, are fear and surprise, and ruthless efficiency are three weapons, are fear, surprise, and ruthless efficiency, and an almost fanatical devotion to keeping the smallest requirement of the law are, are four, no, amongst our weapons, Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear, surprise, <sighs> all come in again. At this point, Thaddeus had just about had enough. 
Hold on, hold on, he shouted. This is all getting silly. At this point, the podcast episode has descended into some kind of pale mimicry of excellent British comedy sketches from the early 1970s. Not only that, but it might very well be in violation of copyright laws. No, it isn't, replied the chief Pharisee. It is a clear case of someone using the sketch for purposes of review, satire, or parody with the goal of educating on the topic of the place of the Pharisees in the Gospel of Mark. That falls under fair usage when it comes to matters of copyright, it does. Well, maybe, replied Thaddeus, but it is still silly. All right, all right, said Jesus. Let's put aside for a moment the whole thing about you suddenly showing up, like the Spanish Inquisition in an old Monty Python sketch. Despite us all being in the middle of a deserted wheat field, in the middle of nowhere. What are you doing here? Well, it's like he said declared the chief Pharisee, pointing at Simon. It is the Sabbath day. The law is clear that no one may work on the Sabbath. And yet here you are, all harvesting and threshing and winnowing with your own hands. You are being very naughty. Well, let me ask you something, Jesus replied. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Wasn't there some incident in the life of King David when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food, kind of like us? And didn't he enter the house of God and eat the bread of the presence? It seems to me that his hunger and that of his companions was considered to be more important than the strict interpretation of the law that says that such bread is only for the priests, and not for the people. In case you're unfamiliar, this all happened when Abiathar was high priest. Aha! cried the chief Pharisee triumphantly. That shows how little you know. David demonstrated that hunger was more important than law when Ahimelech was high priest, not Abiathar. Oh, damn. Hmm, mused Jesus. Maybe that is your problem. You are so focused on the irrelevant details that you just admitted my point, which matters more than not getting the name of the priest right. The point is that the law is there to serve the people. The Sabbath law is good. But we should never forget that the Sabbath was made for people and not the other way around. And so human beings are the ones who rule over Sabbath, not you. Okay. 
I am going to put this episode of the podcast in the I just couldn't resist category. I've always thought that it was odd when, in that story in Mark's Gospels, the Pharisees just appear out of nowhere to challenge Jesus. It strongly suggests that the author is using them as convenient foils, just conjuring them up whenever they are needed in order for Jesus to be able to say something brilliant. As such, the Pharisees are largely stereotypes in this gospel. Not so much a reflection of what Pharisees actually were in the early first century, but a reflection of what the author needed them to be. But their sudden appearance in this story, it just seemed a little bit too convenient. And it put me in mind of a certain famous comedy sketch. There are a number of interesting things going on in this story. For one, Jesus does indeed make an error about who was high priest when David helped himself to the bread of the presence. This is something that has caused no end of troubles for those who buy into the idea that the Bible itself must be infallible and incapable of error. I don't really have any trouble accepting that Jesus or the Gospel writer just made a simple mistake in chronology. Lord knows that I myself make those kinds of mistakes all the time. But I also kind of like the thought that maybe Jesus made a mistake on purpose to illustrate the Pharisees' obsession with truly insignificant details. And finally, there is the closing statement of Jesus, traditionally translated as, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What on earth is that supposed to mean? The phrase, Son of Man, was a common Hebrew and Aramaic idiom, simply a way to refer to a human being in general. So, it is quite possible that Jesus was simply saying that humans get to rule over the Sabbath, rather than the Sabbath over them. But, of course, that phrase, the Son of Man, took on a special meaning for the early church, and perhaps even in some of Jesus' own sayings. It became a way of referring to Jesus himself, particularly in apocalyptic modes. And so, was Jesus maybe saying that he himself was Lord of the Sabbath? There really is no way of knowing how we ought to understand it. That's why I decided to highlight an often neglected possible reading. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks, and do leave a review on your podcast provider to help other people find and appreciate this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ah Da by Kevin MacLeod. 
and the mood music for this episode was Sunbright Summer and Rush to Glory by Music L Files. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at filmmusic.io. You can contact me on Twitter, and yes, you know what I mean, at Retelling Bible, and on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks again to my awesome Patreon supporters for who back this podcast. If you'd like to join them or discover the benefits they receive, go to patreon.com slash retelling the Bible. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>